0: struggle through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it? Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit-accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock and welcome to the 100 days and beyond podcast okay welcome everyone to another episode of uh, 100 days and beyond and also the fractional cmo marketing leadership um, uh, podcast i think today it's really um, i think fascinating in terms of the the topic we're going to cover and and i i'd much rather let larry do the uh, do the introduction but um larry's really got some fascinating background experience in terms of marketing agencies digital marketing etc but also busy with uh, a number of other things and and the first time i actually met uh, larry he was in in the middle of um, the bush <laughs> which was fascinating welcome larry welcome to the podcast
1: thank you dudley nice to be here
0: no, i'm so glad you could join us today and uh, and uh, you're looking all smart and all that, so thank you very much for, for doing that. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just kick off, and we're gonna go straight into it. Um, if you could do me and the audience a favor, and just sort of give us your background, tell us sort of from a bio point of view, sort of who are you, where do you come from, So sort of what do you stand for in terms of your values and your direction in
1: life. Cool. Yeah. So I think I started I started off living um, from your your part of the world. I, I grew up in Africa. Um, Kenya, South Africa, the Ivory Coast, sort of traveled around. Um, Family was uh, sort of prone to doing that for the jobs that they had and was schooled there, then went to university in the UK and focus was on environmental science. You can imagine coming out of a place like South Africa has a big impact on a a kid, you know, was really into the the, uh, the animals and, and sort of had a natural affinity towards biology and that kind of morphed into sort of active activist biology let's say in environmental science and um then went went to oxford did philosophy there continued sort of thinking about these topics in a in a deeper way was always very interested in science fiction so was always interested in the future the possibility of humanity the the different things that we could achieve as a species um and the different kind of existential threats that we have also by the same token and so um basically from there got really into um uh insect farming uh, it was a new industry at the time uh wanted to get involved in entomology actually because i thought that we can maybe get into that in the course of the interview maybe at some point but uh basically took a lot of advice from people that said don't go the entomology route go the entrepreneurial route because actually um it seems more aligned to what you kind of uh, seem to be as a, as a as a young adult and um know there are there are entomologists that need people with that in the future to to do things and so i sort of took took that advice looking back on it i i ended up doing that um i got very interested into startups having no skills as a developer you can imagine with philosophy and environmental science you know having no hardcore dev skills um but i i seem to be able to you know connect dots between people and things and so that sort of led me towards the sales and, and marketing side of things um, learned a hell of a lot in my, my early years working at, at different jobs and then decided to strike out uh, on my own with uh, other co-founders to found a digital agency. The idea being that we would help startups who were doing the sort of things that I guess we would love to have been able to do if we had only we had been developers. And so really fell in love with the sort of startup ecosystem around Silicon Roundabout in London uh, and then working with companies um, in, in the States as well and grew the agency to what it is now. Which is in the 35 people, um, and it's growing into two offices in in the UK and in Europe, and you um, know, and, and so that's been an exciting journey. Hope to talk about it more with you. And then from there, mm. um, most recently, I have gone back into insect farming, but actually doing a, a startup using some of these skills, hopefully in some small way to 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 help us transition to um, better ways of feeding our animals. And
0: yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that because. Because that's that's almost, that's going full circle. I mean, that's you probably touch on so many different aspects. Um, my view, uh, Larry, is that that you love to learn. Is would that be a good and uh, sort of good first assumption of you as a person? You love to get your your hands dirty, get involved, learn new things, experience new things.
1: I do, and it can be quite a crippling thing for anyone else who has the same um, affliction. The sh- because the shiny it, object
0: syndrome could could be quite exactly quite.
1: Different. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, while I am able to focus on, on something for a while, you know, you do wonder sometimes whether um, you are more interested in your next steps because it's a whole set of new things. And it's just another bunch of interesting things that you could be doing with your life as opposed to, you know, is the should you be more focused? But I think I think um, some kind of good balance um, ends up being the story as as is everything in life.
0: As <laughs> is everything in life, exactly. Yeah, and I, I, I love the the when I looked when I looked at your LinkedIn uh, profile, but also uh, just having a chat to you when when you were standing there in uh, in, in 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 Kenya. I think you you were close to your yeah. your 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 farm, your insect farm there. So that's right. Eh? Um, that's right. So yeah. so so when I look at that and and I and I see the you know from the the digital marketing side of things, how you managed to. To to work on and, and build an agency when a 35 person agency is not is is not insignificant. I mean that is quite a that's quite difficult to go through sort of a one man and a two man and a three man show to 35 people to to growing it mm-hmm. an out and building a customer base and and obviously with coming with digital marketing agencies have their own sort of challenges and so on in terms of scale and so on because you have it's very much a knowledge based business. But what's interesting that I just want to pick pick on that. I want you maybe just to expand on that a bit. You, you talk about marketing automation and so on and outbound and inbound leads and that. But what was interesting there is the B2B psychology. Yeah. Um, I want to just just unpack that a little bit for me, a little, uh, you know, before we go sort of into entomology
1: and the philosophy sure. side of things. Sure. And um, so, yeah, I think B2B psychology, or in general, um, I guess, um, psychology and marketing is somewhat of a of a of a dark art or it's somewhat of a a kind of dirty secret in the se- in the sense that it it sort of relies on you understanding the consumerist tendencies of the population whether those are like ingrained or have been i don't know culturally or whatever programmed into people and just knowing what buttons to push so when it comes to b2b psychology versus b2c um, a lot of people talk about things like you know how a checkout area should look um how um uh, an e-commerce audience is going to behave on a page if you change x y or z and there's a lot of data on that and usually because the traffic to these sites is so large that you can change micro bits of copy and get different results and so psychology you know even in, in colors and and things like that like having a green button versus a red button there's all these sort of psychology has been looked at from, from the consumer uh point of view from the e-com and even the, the sort of SaaS point of view um, but it's never really looked at the kind of high ticket. It's not looked as often at the at the high ticket side of things, except for in the info product uh, mm-hmm. sector, if you want to call it that. So all the people that are selling you courses on you know how to get a six pack or how to, you know, date a, date somebody or, you know, the, the various people out mm-hmm. there, um, you know selling something like that and then you've got this b2b side where everyone talks about things like um the buyer's you know the buyer's journey uh they talk about uh thing you know these sort of content strategy fundamentals like how you build authority as a as a business how authority relates to kind of lead generation um how you can use trust signals in your landing pages to generate more leads out of it there's a kind of uh a sort of science of b2b but they but it hasn't gone to the level of trying to uh for some reason we we sort of leave the fact that a b2b audience are human beings at the door as b2b marketers we sort of think well they're just like a corporate representative of their company so Mm -hmm. i'll just plug in uh uh, have this problem here's this solution and try and and get in that way without sort of really using all the tools that are there so Mm. uh looking at the human being at work as doing some very important things in their life um, such as generating status so when you understand why people are trying to accumulate um, money it's really to do certain other things in their life Um, and it's and it's all with the idea of, of of building um, more status in the areas that they find are important to build status in. So mm. that can be anything from I need a better car because I think then if I have a better car, people will think X of me, and if they think X of me, then I will do better um, with my friends. You know, it's it's complex things that human beings get up to, and you know, it, it's not always obvious. But basically, at at work, people are trying to um, look intelligent to their colleagues. They're trying to get. Better job security. They're trying mm. to um, increase their pay so they can do all the other things in their life that they want to do with their pay. There's fundamental things that we're we're actually doing, and by not talking or addressing those things and just saying, "Hey, your company would be great for this product because you know this your company needs it," you you should say that, but you don't. You can get so much further if you also hint at or allow the person to understand or to trip trip that little wire. That says, "Hey, um, this is also directly beneficial for you and your career and your step on the ladder and what comes with all of that and all those things that you actually dream about at night, um, that would only happen if you could get to that next step. Well, yeah. this is the key to that next step, as well as being great for your company and 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 great compared to competitors and all the other standard B two B, you know, markers. Uh, and I think we yeah, can get and that it, in B2B. yeah." yeah.
0: Yeah, and 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 I and I think just to expand on that thought because I think from a especially around the podcast and and the audience that we we generally have on on the, on these podcasts so are are people that question the next layer down. You know, this is not one of those flashy podcasts where we talk about you know make a, a million dollars in five minutes because you know. <laughs> yeah. You can, Download a PDF for for I don't know four dollars or something ridiculous. So um, this is not that kind of podcast. I and mean, for me, I, it's about peeling away some additional layers. So some of the additional layers around B two B psychology and so on. And 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 I, I've been in the B two B space for for quite some time. And what I what I found useful was was to try and understand. I mean, we you talk about the buyer's journey as opposed to a sales process. You know, it's like how do you map your business purchasing or acquisition of a service or a product for the use of the company the bigger the company the more complex the more authorizers you have the more decision makers you have the more influences you have um and the more probably ego and other things you have at play and then also the dynamics within the organization um also come come to play so there's a there, there's so many different different things but what i try to to do and and maybe you, and i need your sort of view on this is what i try to do with a b2b space is to try and map uh, when when you are engaging with b2b clients and often these are bigger ticket sales i'm talking about mm-hmm. big ticket software sales or big ticket sort mm-hmm. of uh, equipment or or something like that or a refurb of a factory or or even you know like these big power stations they need you know uh, maintenance schedules and things like that so these are big service or big product-based sales when you start building out a map, and you start and you stop looking at CFO and you know uh, CEO and you know um, CMO, and you look at all these different executives, and then you say, okay, it's not about title, it's not about that. Is is how do you get past the? I think this is where the difficulty is. Is when when you're selling to a B two B space. Is, is as quick as possible to get into the personal space of those people to better agree. map who you're trying to target. And I think that where where the difficulty is a lot of uh, a lot of companies make this mistake is where I mean, I could think of a few software vendors that that do this. So they go and they try and build this brand because um, it is the sort of uh, again, the credibility and I think you talk about that authority and so on but it's not necessarily the authority that makes the person make the final buying decision or triggers that buying decision process or the influence of it. And when you, when you start peeling it away, you start saying, okay, I'm a B2B, do B2B sales from the point of picking up a lead or an interest, because these days you would know as well from a digital marketing point of view, you can pick up intent via, You know, these there's the software out there, artificial intelligence, and other types of things around. Not only just cookies, you know, the the, the, the tracking software, but now there's behavioral types of uh, tracking software that pick up when people are searching more for something as opposed to something else, and then mm-hmm. you have these spikes in in these intense searches. And if you could find who in the company is doing those searches, often it's a junior doing yeah. it on behalf of a senior and then collecting information. So you, you, it's, it's like, it's, it's very, very difficult to make the transition. So just tell us sort of when you, in, in your agency, how do you deal with a client who does B2B sales? I mean, mm-hmm. and they struggling. Okay. So now yeah. they're in a position where I'm, we're trying to get into these companies. The world has changed. We can't get hold of the right people. Um, decision-making has changed. You know, people have got tired and they got mentally stressed and all that kind of thing. I mean, all these pressures that we, we're going through and now there's sort of what they call cost of living and all the other stuff and then people are mentally, you know, under pressure. Tell me
1: how yeah, you would advise yeah.
0: somebody, you know, taking all those different aspects as to a yeah. good, decent enough process for a B2B type of entity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think definitely your, your um, background is more sort of in this kind of the the sort of sales enablement side of things, whereas we we sort of drop the ball main drop the uh, the, the 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 opportunity at the sales qualified lead. So we don't necessarily um, distinguish or are able to um, you know build a lot of that in. So for instance, the kind of companies we work with are let's say um, you know SMEs that are maybe a hundred people plus that are like you say selling some some innovative software like tech startups um and uh what they're looking for is to generate leads whoever those those people may be and they're still you know in terms of how you discover the types of of um leads that make the most sense for your your company ultimately what they want is usually inbound leads so it's mainly like people that are relying too much on outbound leads or relying on um uh, you know, buying in leads, they would come to us and say, look, we want to restructure everything. So we have lots of inbound people knocking on our door. But yes, you're quite right that initially, you may be, uh, the, the you know, you may have a, a subset or even a large part of your leads are the junior down the, ro- the road, who's not really at the point at which they are, um, uh, are ready to convert. I mean, they might just be doing research. And so I think, There's ways you can build into your forms, and like you say, there's tools you can use to sort of try and piece together who that person is, and then serve them with additional content that's mainly maybe more about like empowering them to get, you know, the opportunity across to their superiors and all the information they need to 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 progress it. But I mean, this we don't do the sort of ABM work, the real like um, uh, you know key accounts really looking at, okay, I want these hundred companies. I want to get in where the sort of thing you're saying, I totally, uh, you know, would defer to you. I think you've spent a lot more time looking at how you uh, approach a plan of attack to like a set, a set audience of really large companies that they're, that's a different, completely different kettle of fish. I totally agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's, that's, that's very useful information because you have the MQLs as they call it marketing qualified leads, yeah. SQLs, which are the sales qualified leads. And a lot of people yeah. don't always understand the difference between where does marketing, especially B2B and B2B psychology, where does marketing yeah. start and end and where does sales yeah. sort of take over? And I think you've, you've I done d- exactly that now and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm enjoying what you're saying there. So carry on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that um, any marketer that's telling you that they need to stop at MQL I think is, is is not being quite serious because there certainly if you're if you're at the point where you're talking about MQLs and SQLs, you're you're definitely a, a size of company where um you can build a closed loop analytic analytic um infrastructure. Like there's no reason why your leads, you know, however they're generated, should not be passing through your CRM. And when the opportunity is created, that the Google ad ID or the Facebook ad ID or the whatever IDs mm. are imported into the CRM. And the deal value is assigned to it, and then even when they they close, that data is sent back to the ad platforms, so that you can actually see how much bottom line, you know, lifetime value did this keyword or did this campaign generate. And so, you know, marketers just saying, well, look, we're just going to give you MQLs, and we're just going to optimize for lower MQLs. Those days are so over. There's so much more that you can do to make sure mm. that, um, you know, you sort your analytics out, so you know that every pound that you're spending on your digital campaigns, anywhere that's the area kind of I, I would do. but you can do this with trade shows and everything, depending on how you collect information at the trade show. But of course, you could have the same window into your CRM just on whatever portable device you're, you're getting people to enter in stuff at the at the mm-hmm. trade show or whatever. There, there's other ways you can bridge the analog world in here. But once people enter in your CRM, the the source should be known down to every single, you know, tracking pixel on every source that they could have come in from. And then assuming they, the sales team has got a process they're following in the CRM, then the end, you know, close value should be reflected. And then in your analytics, you should be able to see these channels created this much LTV um, this month. And then you, then you can actually know what you should be spending your, your marketing budget on. Um, uh, But yeah, but I think where you, um, yeah, would definitely uh, need to kind of school me on is sort of how you build a sales team that, even when they're generating those leads is able to talk with them. I mean, I do this in my own lo- life, but I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's definitely some nuance that I'm probably not, you know, uh, aware of yeah, on and, how you and, can and, take yeah, those and leads and expand the, the tra- relationships.
0: Yeah. yeah. The difficulty is the, tra- uh, the, the tracking of it because it's the beauty about marketing and digital marketing is that you know, a lot of that online stuff can be tracked. But B2B generally has a longer sales cycle, for instance, and they yeah. got lots of upsells and cross-sells, et cetera. So you often have a, a leading product that someone would, would buy, but maybe two years later they buy the upsell by, let's say it's a software platform, they buy additional users, they buy additional plugins, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. It's very, very, very difficult to make sure that the entire ecosystem called sales and marketing from a b2b space and then to try and work that back and then i'm going to come back to that b2b psychology it's Mm -hmm. it's at what point and i'm and i'm thinking and i think this is probably where where a lot of your your background uh, probably comes in quite useful is is being able to potentially go back and say let's go and look at the entire journey that the customer had from even the, the the lost deals you know, find out why yeah. they lost, you know, find out why they didn't happen because, you know, we know it's a numbers game and it's a yeah. one in three or one in five or one in 10. I don't depend depending on how competitive the market is, but, but understanding the lost deals versus one deals. And then why were they won? Why were they lost? And feeding that back into your personas and your ideal customer profiles so that you can better, better, better run your marketing campaigns and your lead generation campaigns and the language and that, that you use on the, on the websites. So, so yes, I mean, uh, that's probably for me where I think there's this, this very nice overlap and why I'm glad that, that you're a guest um, today. I'm also finding that in, in the, in the B2B space and, and and you're a younger guy. I mean, you come, you're, you're, you're you're part of the younger generation and I'm finding that the older generation uh, people, you know, my generation, many of them are still stuck in you know when i started selling we were using the a to z yeah you you don't have you don't carry a telephone around with you you go to the office and you make phone calls to make appointments and then you put them in your handwritten sort of diary as we call it those days the calendar and you out you go and then you on this map book and you try to find the places and you go through this process of what leads how do i get leads in and and sales generally carried a lot of the marketing pressure and then marketing yeah. used to just be advertising i think that's where it used to be now tell me about yes. that sort of your view um being a young guy entering a world where there's a lot of history and let's say ecosystems that already had developed and now you're coming into sort mm-hmm. of digital marketing space you've seen as something potentially sort of Fresh and new, as a brand, is a, a group out here, they the youngsters they know stuff about the internet. Is that is that necessarily true? And is that sort of does is there a benefit in 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 sort of this this generational gap, if you like?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's um again, it will come down to the 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 company in question. Um if they are um you know, really targeting like they have a real accounts-based sort of uh, marketing strategy. So if they can only work with like the top, you know, 100 petroleum companies and their product only aligns to that, then that is a much more I see the the, the sort of if you want to call it old school. But I think those skills being like the the core the heart the the sales skills um, that you're talking about. Um, being far more relevant than what marketers can do. I mean, marketers can, would still be in the position of like advertising, sponsoring content, just making it so that the, whoever the potential personas or, you know, the buyer personas within each of those companies, you know, they would be used, they would, they would be all over LinkedIn, they'd be all over the kind of uh, digital PR, um, you know, press on all of the kind of sites that these sort of people would be reading, um, mm. traditional PR, you know, that, that sort of more advertising approach. Um, sending, uh, you know, knickknacks or or, or interesting uh, toys to people's desks, and they're like, "What is this?" Or sending them letters. You know, there's all sorts of techniques that I still think have a lot of value for that um, hard-to-reach, um, constantly bothered audience. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I really do believe that. But where I kind of sit, or where the brain sits, and and it's definitely like medicine we eat ourselves is. For a certain type of B2B company, one that is maybe, let's say, more in the professional services or the the kind of known category, um, a known category like you know, law firm, accountancy, plus like 100 others, I mean. But but the kind of a category that doesn't require education or doesn't require, um, you know, massive tender process, things that are tend to be, um, you know, three to six month, uh, very well trodden path decisions for um you know, for, mm. for, for, for other companies there, you can build an entire strategy of just pure inbound lead gen. And you don't actually even need to hire salespeople. You hire essentially account managers, um, who, who in, in your walk of life or in the past would have absolutely sunk. If they tried to do a single outbound call, they would fold immediately. Mm. Um, you know, they, they just would have no hope in doing that. But you can then, rather than hiring those people, you can generate an entire inbound ecosystem where you just wake up every morning and there's just meetings filling in your calendar and you never touch the system. It just all comes into the calendar, whether that is um, sponsored content funnel, going into a HubSpot nurturing funnel, going into a you know book, book a time to speak. Um, a call to action at the end or it's a google ads or it's a mm. search engine optimization what, 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 whatever the the way is, you can set those up so that you don't it's completely hands free and what you're doing at that point with you know some some good degree of tweaking until you've you've got it right you're you're just having people it's not really a sale at that point if you've built your your brand well enough and the roots in the the inbound routes in you're mainly just sort of um almost you're doing a criteria fit you're just sort of evaluating the client as to whether they fit what you do and so you basically have account managers who come to scheduled calls and are basically looking for reasons not to work with the person like looking for looking how to fit them into what you want to do and how you can scale your company and that's a much easier and it's it's, it's the situation of the brains like we we um have it's just you know what i mean it's more that you're actually looking for reasons why you don't want to deviate. You want it. You have your certain core services. You have your like two year strategy and you know what you want to be doing more of what types of companies you want to work with. And you're looking for like a a client, a client um, uh, agency fit and kind of going through a list of questions. And and the person on the other side is not, is not expecting you to um, prove that you know anything about marketing. Like they've already been through the funnel. Like they've already, they're already at the door because they've already Mm -hmm. been sort of convinced. They're now looking for a quote. They're now looking to, Sort of compare they're at the they're at the bottom of the funnel already. So, um, the you know you you've kind of the funnel has sort of just done all that that for itself. So I think there's two different things there. If we're talking strictly B two B, there's companies that get to do the latter, and then the ones mm. that um really are going after each audience, the kind of skills that you're talking about from maybe you know an older generation, far more far more applicable. And I think a lot of people in the younger generation actually can't can't do that anymore they they they, uh i don't know what it is they just they just seem maybe a bit too um this is a super generalization obviously but (laughs) you know i I feel like you know there was there was a bit of a more hard-nosed um more take it on the chin you know every no gets you closer to a yes type of mentality maybe in the past now everyone expects the internet to just serve up you know opportunities and to you know everyone sort of has a right to you've got a right to leads Not gonna have to go and make your own leads. I've got a right the lead, you know. I love that. Yeah,
0: and 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 I asked you specifically, and you answered absolutely perfectly uh, because it's exactly that. And this, uh, this qualification process, and I think the companies that get it right know who they are. They know what they stand for, and they have products and services that are configured for a repeatable process or a repeatable sort of. Uh, operational procedure that delivers um, uh, better results because you can repeat it in uh, in such a fashion that that you know where all the pitfalls are because you've been through mm-hmm. it a number of times. I think the, the, the difficulty is where companies, I mean, even digital marketing agencies, I think we touched on that oh, yeah. when we spoke previously. Digital we we marketing made this mistake and I'm
1: digging ourselves try to out, out it,
0: yeah. They try too yes. many you know, like, oh, today I've got a dentist and tomorrow I've got, I don't know, a mechanic and then an architect and then a this and a that. And what I love about the way that things have gone, and yes, you're probably right from a sales point of view, it's it's probably less aggressive and probably um, more about, uh, you know, more more about sort of taking a softer approach, if you like. I'm not sure if that's the right way to say, because these days you've got to be very careful what you say. But I think, I think if you, if, if, you, if you look at that whole dynamic, for me, is the better companies now today are the ones that are able to set up a repeatable framework within mm-hmm. a narrow space. And when you're mm-hmm. generating leads, your pipeline and the – not the pipeline, the actual sales process, your, your landing page and your sales funnels and all that, lead the person on that path because that is what they resonate with. Those are the yeah. results that they want, and those are the results that you know as a company you can deliver. So tell us a bit about yeah. that journey because I, I found that fascinating when we spoke because you had gone through that learning curve of I think trying to be what we call used to call all things to all men to yeah. to then narrowing that focus. Tell us a bit about that journey. How did you sort of get through that?
1: Yeah, so we, we started in 2015, and I'd say um, it sort of took us probably um, – uh, three years to learn that lesson. So almost half of the time, the agency was, you know, a lot, looking back on it now, a lot of time, uh, you don't want to say wasted because, ha- you know, I guess you wouldn't have learned those lessons anyway, but it would be lovely to have just not had to learn the lessons and just, you know, start out with it, uh, with the with the info um, sort of in- intuited. But um, yeah, so we, we we started out trying to go full service because it's kind of the, tempt- the temptation is there when you're a smaller company, which is, you know, you don't have a reputation yet so you're sitting there thinking somebody is. to have a lead whatever that lead wants you're not thinking about it in terms of does this fit who i am you're thinking about it as in i'm desperate for business because i've hired a bunch of people and i probably shouldn't because i'm a new company found you know owner and i thought the good times would always last and now um i'm faced with you know having to let people go unless i can get work in can i sort of jam some square pegs into round holes and that is, I think, that's a real thing that happens. I mean, it would be great if everyone could, you know, have the benefit of like, I don't know, I guess actually working in the industry before. Like, So I'd never worked in the marketing uh, industry well, or not, not very long before I started. But, you know, I think a much more sensible route to starting an agency would have been do five years in an agency, see all these problems, uh, listen to, uh, you know, Uh, the this this program listen to to Dudley Peacock (laughs) actually talk to you about these frameworks and then go out and build like just execute you'd probably be just as we'd probably be just as far along so we've almost had sort of client sponsored education for three years which would have been you know probably better for all parties involved if we just turned up now with the information we had how much you have to sort of feel the pain I'm one of those people that has to feel the pain i have to feel that the stove is hot before even if you tell me a hundred times i've got to first just confirm it and just touch it with my hand before i get it into my head that it's a real thing and so i think um yeah i think it's it, it's just the way it goes the temptation is always to just take whatever the client is is saying well you've i mean you right got there. bills to pay don't you yeah. i
0: mean you've got you've got bills to pay yeah. you've got you also are excited as well. I mean, there's also a level of passion and interest because you know you might not have tackled this particular issue before, this project or this type of yeah. client, and it's sort of the the shiny thing. It's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to tackle this. This is my new client, and you're all happy about it. And then yeah. a month, two, three, three months later, you the client's all upset with you, or you you are unhappy because you know you're being pulled in this direction. And you need to go there. Um, very, yeah. very interesting. But one of the one of the um, uh, podcasts I did some time back, I spoke a bit a bit about the Euro's journey. That that standard sort of human yeah. journey where you have that uh, you know that call to action, and then the the fall, and then the you know the climbing out of the hole, and yeah. the having. I having know, the I, know, yes, I yeah. don't know mentors and all that along the way, or the Yoda for or Luke Skywalker and so on, and then, and you we, you know by the time you are out of this big pit, you know you you you're better off and you're a better person and you've had not just an external but an internal transformation. I mean we we I see that story all the time and I think it's I think it's a good thing. I don't think anything that's that's easily won and there's a, the the shortcut and that's why people try and avoid the the tough journey and i think you're actually yeah. worse off for it and i think even mm-hmm. younger generations and this is again probably just a generalization but younger generations are often more uh cotton ball cotton wool you know raised that they don't yeah. they don't actually experience those hard times the 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 pressures of 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 failing um and i think many parents do their children a disservice by saying you know what actually go and give it a try and and if it doesn't work you know what i'm here if you if you need me but i'm not going to go and carry you every step of the way and i think that for me is the difference between the younger and the older generation because we were raised different but again it's a generalization but that euro's journey, I think, is massively important, and I think you're better off
1: for it. I don't know. what I absolutely opinion. agree. I absolutely agree, and I completely see what you're saying um, with the the uh, the kind of younger generations of which I'm a part. I mean, I don't know what it was about um, maybe my my folks, but um, they were, you know, I was up to a lot of things that I shouldn't have been as a, as a child, and they didn't seem to really care. I think, um, uh, but but I think it's this sort of like precious child syndrome where because birth rates have been declining you know all across europe and this is quite a tangent but you know but um you know it's that people are having less kids per family and so the less of a thing that you have the more precious you are about like oh well we can't nothing bad can happen to this because like it's so expensive to have a child now and it's you know with real wages have not increased you know um, in line with inflation you know they, they sort of uh what's called paired off in like the 80s or whenever whenever it was and so people have been getting kind of gradually less resources to even have kids and then the kids they have they're like super precious about and um plus a whole bunch of other things that the culture is stirring up can i
0: challenge you a bit because you studied this stuff and i and i think it's not not tangent it's it's, i'm glad we got to this point because you actually studied a bit of this stuff and and you spoke about you know the human beings as a species etc etc and 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 this you know this whole sort of looking at the human race and 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 how everything is developed and so on and and I want, I, want, I want your sort of a, a opinion on this, where I think that the, the standard of living has increased. Mm-hmm. The, wage, the wage sort of uh, what people perceive as their wages or salaries and that the incomes have not gone up, okay, as in relation to. I still think 50 years ago, we didn't have dishwashers. We didn't have washing machines. Well, also we social have, welfare,
1: Dudley. Our social welfare programs are so much more developed now that yes, you're right, that in a in, in a way so you're getting I'm a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and is yeah. it
0: really an excuse? And this is this is a question I've had, is it really an excuse to have fewer children? Because what happens is it, it also messes up the lineage. You know, if you look at the the bigger, I mean we've got the Queen Pass now and and yeah. you're looking at them trying to tighten the family and, and sort of narrow the royal family, if you like. And 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 you start thinking, you know, what are people doing automatically when they are having fewer kids? they cre- they creating a scarcity mentality, aren't they? And to a certain extent, mm. it's like, I don't have enough, therefore. But actually, you know what? You're sitting over the weekends, binging on Netflix, ordering in takeaways. You're doing... <laughs> Loads of different things that people, people uh, up to a hundred years ago worked seven days a week. You know, it was uncommon yeah. to have a weekend. It was like it just wasn't a thing. You worked yeah. seven days a week. It was just that—that's just the way it was. Now it's like yeah. then. I think with the advent of sport and all that, I think hundred so years ago, then Saturdays became a thing. You know, we, it's my weekend now. It's Saturday. Then they had to find a way to entertain people on the weekends, and then there was all these sports and there, but you know more about this stuff than I do, but I just want to sort of throw it out there and, and
1: tell me what you think in, in terms of your studies and your experience. Yeah. And I think this is where sadly, like the sort of being, being a, a a marketer kind of conflicts with a lot of the kind of values maybe that I, that I have, you um, know, in, in a way, it depends on what you're doing the marketing for, right? If you're doing the marketing for a very valuable charity or a, a something that's going to save people loads of money, then you know you can really get behind it, and of course, when you want to work with clients, you want to do things that map onto what you think is good for the world. You know, you don't want to be selling um, casino casino apps or you know uh, you know buy alcohol at twenty four seven kind of apps. So you know you know what I mean. So you, you can you can absolutely align to to these things, and uh, marketing can be a powerful tool to help to do a lot of good in the world. Um, but I think that most marketing sort of taps into a sort of mindless consumerism and i think that that has been sort of ratcheting up um, more and more and more As uh, the more data we've had the more buttons we're able to push with people and it sort of leads them and i think this feeling that i'm describing that uh, oh you know things were better before and i don't have any anything left or, or, or you know i can't have kids or all the rest of that sort of feeling comes from people spending a, a really big portion of their attention and and resources on pursuing things that really um have been inserted in there and you know this isn't a conspiracy theory it's just uh you know if you're if you're continuously looking at instagram and you see everybody you know it's it's kind of like keeping up with the joneses but except for on an international scale so for for, so now instead of your neighbor being the joneses who have a slightly better model of bmw than you your joneses is you know, uh, uh, Kim Kardashian jumping out of her, her um, Ferrari or something, and so now you're constantly looking out, and then you're then being reinforced with marketers saying, "Here's this aspirational brand. Go and spend all of your money on Nike. Go and spend all your money on, on um, you know these, these these holidays and stuff that you know you just go get into this consumerist trap, and it's and then uh, and yeah, and it makes a lot of money for a lot of uh, big big companies, you know, so. It's, it's a complex thing. I'm, I'm not pretending to be some sort of, um, you know, uh, to have all this, any of the solutions. But I, I, definitely, I definitely agree with, um, with, with what you're saying, that, that people are sort of different from in the past, wanting things very different. They're wanting very different things out of their weekends, out of their social life, out of their, what, the, what they're entitled to kind of enjoy. And those entitlements actually cost a lot. When, you, when it comes down to it, that we're just consuming so much more than we would before that, yeah, like, of course, it seems as if there's never any money or resources to do everything because there's so much resources that need to be spent on getting to the next rung of the ladder that the, the ladders, I should say, they're presented to you every day by brands and uh, and celebrities, so... Yeah.
0: it's crazy. And and I'm 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 an observer at this stage of, of this, this behavior. And I think when when people say that they can't afford certain things, I mean all you have to do is probably just go and have a look at their, their budget. You know, do they have to live where they live? Do they have to drive the car or or you know have the sky TV uh you know package that's got everything on it and you know do they have to go down to the to the pub every night kind of or whatever it is whatever they do you know they don't have to yeah you know, you, you know in, in years ago those things weren't weren't even available but you're right so this is where marketing often conflicts with what i think is 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 a hum, human a, a basic human needs and i think we've mm-hmm. way surpassed sort of the basic you know the maslow's hierarchy of needs if you like and from a from a marketing point of view this has also created additional challenges and things to be able to market to people more on an aspirational basis trying to connect yeah. with emotions and and trying to be uh you know trying to be potentially more aspirational than than you should and this is where the ethics start coming in. and and i don't want to mention the names but there there are a few people out there that are, are really riding off the back of of this aspirational thing, especially these motivational speakers and and so on. I mean, mm. you probably know them, mm. the property gurus and I've the, studied them quite quite extensively. The special, yeah, the guys yeah. that clap hands and and raise hands and and shout yeah. and all that kind of thing, and and yeah. they really just I think they're just milking the people out of more time, more focus, more energy. That really. You know, we all have the ability to do things. Just get on with it. Yeah. And I think that's probably. Yeah. And I know that sounds very philosophical, but again, it comes back to what you've studied. And and now I want to go again into. Uh, you know, we can maybe finish off with the conversation. But I want to go and in, into this this new this thing that you in this insects and the entomology and mm. and so on. So now you marketing. I mean, you've got this this real good understanding of humans and and human behavior and so on and now you're getting into insects i mean that's probably you know it it, it's probably how does that fit just tell us how that fits
1: (laughs) well i think um yeah i think to to do justice to the uh discipline of of marketing just just to round off our conversation is you know for for me um we talked about all the ways in which it can be used to prey on the kind of um uh, aspirations or, or like consumerist tendencies that people might have um And to, like you say, milk them out of things that they, that, you know, everyone, the the other person on the other side should know is not appropriate. But, you know, ethics, um, ethics be damned, you know, for a lot of a lot of people, unfortunately. But ultimately, what marketing should be able to do is as something that increases the velocity of efficiency in, in the economy. So like that. I mean I've just made that that up but but I don't know how to explain it but it's more like if there's two companies and one of them genuinely has a better service or they've done an innovation that allows other companies to benefit and you know reduce their margin you know like improve their margins by 5% which then obviously gets taxed and then goes into social services is of immense benefit to the whole of society that 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 product or innovation or service or company be the leader of the pack you would not want them stifled under a massive marketing budget of a multinational who is just weighing down and just you know um, just rooted in like a big big oak and not letting all of these exciting blooming flowers you know grow and so mm-hmm. I just think that that uh, as a marketer you can come to the marketing world with a real sense of ethics and a real sense of wanting to do something for society wanting companies that genuinely should be um, delivering their service and you should and you you can help people with a smaller budget, um, using creativity, using um, all those skills to pinpoint and, and and get a beachhead in and, you know, push mm-hmm. out for the benefit of society at large. And I think that's that's the thing that drew me to marketing. That what, you know, I, I was really into what startups were doing. Like, so those, so I was really involved. I was involved with a, a bunch of startups before um, I started the agency, many of which failed, um, not, not me personally, but I joined as like, the first employee or, or whatever for different like delivery startups and uh green tech startups it was really fascinating ride and that's where i discovered i, I really enjoyed the the marketing sales side of things because i tried my hand at everything and that's what i love the most um but you know w- w- being in those companies you really wanted them to do to do well and they really had an opportunity to do to do well it's just that um They didn't have the skills to communicate that and to build the trust needed to, you know, unleash this awesome force on the world. And so I thought if I could learn that skill and next time I have one of these ideas, maybe myself or I'm with other people doing it, then I would I would be I would feel confident that we can we can do it. And so, um, you know, the insect farming thing, um, uh, the insect farming came from university. I've always wanted to do it. Um, In fact, Mm. At the brains, all of my co-founders know that I was that, that, I, that I was eventually going to do this. Um, I was just basically building enough seed capital to 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 do what I wanted to do. And um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I like for my dissertation. I, I, I at, at uni like 12 years ago or whatever, I, I was with the original guy who started insect farming in uh, South Africa, actually. He was the first ever person to do it at a commercial scale. It was a company called AgriProtein. And I uh, had a really great interview and and did my whole thesis on what they were up to. And I was just like, this makes so much sense. Because again, it's about efficiency. It's just, we have all this wasted food and wasted organic material that comes out of like food processing, food warehouses, food logistics, um, the side of stores, you know, bakery. Just there's so much just organic matter. We, we waste about a third of the food that we eat is not... Is, nothing is done with it. Um, and then at the same time, you have insects who are readily consumed by fish, by uh, chickens, by, by pigs, uh, monogastric animals. They love insects. In fact, that's what all the pecking is about with chickens. Um, <laughs> and we're currently feeding them fish meal and soya meal. Fish meal, you know, contributing to the destruction of our oceans. Soy meal contributing to the destruction of our forests. One of the, the largest ones, and obviously all the CO two that comes with that. So it w- even if you take the environmental side away, it's like you have insects which multiply at the rate of knots. So they can grow from uh, barely visible to you know this size, about about a centimeter and a half and two hundred milligrams, within ten days. Um, and you can have these things eat through tons and tons of waste, turning it into fertilizer and um, uh, uh, protein and fat filled larvae which you can then sieve the two, the two products apart and you can dry the larvae and you can grind them into powder and you can uh, sell them to feed millers and create um, animal feed products which are based on insects which they will happily eat be much healthier for them, save waste and it's actually better for their their, their guts because they're naturally, they naturally fish and, and chickens and mm. pigs naturally eat insects, they don't naturally go around eating fish or, or, or chewing soya so, um, you know, there's, um, so there's, so there's, it was just one of these ideas where it was like, it's a win, 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 win. You know, it's a cheaper product. It's displacing, an uh, uh, environmentally, you know, look, I'm very happy that we fed our animals. We needed food to have a societies that we have, but if there's a problem, capitalism is here to provide a solution. And so there's a problem now we're recognizing it. Let's just crack on and, uh, just no one has to be green if, putting money in their pocket if i go to a food processor and say hey i can manage all of your 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 your, um your feed waste i can manage all of your food waste your organic waste and i can manage it for Mm -hmm. free so all that money you're spending dumping it have that money back and i'm going to come and manage your waste and i'm going to be doing some stuff in shipping containers on your site there's going to be insects in there i'm going to be bringing insects taking insects away i need a corner of a corner of your site and you never have to worry about waste again. It's sort of like putting money in their pocket, it's making a better feed, it's helping the environment, it's increasing efficiency of of waste. It was one of those ideas where I was like, this isn't even a green business, it's just like an efficiency business. And so um, it just stuck with me and I wanted to do something in it the whole time, but I had to learn how to be an entrepreneur and go through all these things. And then luckily I met up, I, I had friends already in the industry because I've been looking at it for a long time, one of which was a phenomenal uh, woman called Andrea, who's been C-suite at um, two of the largest insect farming companies in the UK. And we uh, decided to pair up. And we're now in the UK and in Kenya. But currently, most of our operations are in Kenya. But that's kind of shortly to to change. Um, And yeah, Mm. and so I don't know. I think it's just kind of that whole efficiency arc that I was talking about, about trying to do something good, in society, I think is just what, um, I guess is at the, the root of these things, but it's much more obvious in the insect farming one than the, the marketing one. And I think that's why I just knew eventually I was going to have to, I was ha- going to have to jump into something like this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah and, and I think, um, you know, you, the way you finished off your, the, the marketing segment and, and, and segued into, into the, into this, uh, insects, I think, says a lot about you as a person so you've you clearly got a, a core set of values so you 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 know what it is that 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 you want in um uh, i think you, you probably knew already years ago what you wanted to achieve but the task was probably such a mammoth task that you wanted to achieve initially you didn't realize what kind of journey you had to go through to yeah. to get to where you are right now, and and I'm guessing it still feels a, a bit overwhelming, and you probably got big plans and and so on. That's why I want you back on the podcast in in six or 12 months to see what your progress is and and so on. But I think the way that you finished the the marketing segments and then went in, into insects just shows that you can and, and you know there are people that are that are abusing the marketing, but marketing you know nothing good happens without somebody buying something you know yeah. somebody there's got to be a transfer of money money in the bank doesn't work money that's out yeah. in the market and that is delivering value more value than the actual value of the of of the money or of the effort or the sweat equity as as the <laughs> as the startup uh, company yeah. would call it but but i think what where, where you where you've done it very well Larry. is as i think the that understanding that there's a certain value set there's also mm-hmm. the, the 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 importance of focusing and finding a particular course having a broad experience in terms of your entrepreneurial skills grown a company gone through those hard times and understanding that there's systems and processes and procedures that you have to create to create a repeatable process which you're probably doing now automatically anyway in your insect business because you know that without that you can't you can't sort of plug and play and you can't scale so you understand it's been so
1: it's been so fast Dudley. like this one this this company within 24 months it's 15 people and we've raised i think by the end of this month it'll be like 1.1 million in in like you know, twenty-two months, and it's just because we just hit the ground. I mean, it's just like it's like you know exactly what to do. You've just learned the lessons. I mean, it's, it's obviously different. I'm not. I'm not on the op side. I'm on the mm-hmm. commercial side. So getting our our um, our um, partners in in place. So it, it's still very much sales and sales, marketing, branding, and some on on site stuff as well, which is new to me, which I really like. That's the kind of learning new stuff um, uh, and get really getting my head around the tech. Like I know our tech. Inside out. I'm sitting there with the engineers every day because one day I'm going to be sitting in front of people telling them how much better our tech is than others, and I need to like talk like an engineer. So, so for that reason, I'm sort of sort of helping in that department as well. But um, yeah, just with the other guys that I'm lucky enough to have with me, or Andrea and, and Tom, like it's mm-hmm. just it's they they've all been through startup world a lot and come with a lot of great skills, and it's just so much easier the the second time round, um so totally totally agree with you
0: yeah yeah no well done for that and and that's why i wanted you on the on the show because i think it it just brings a completely different view I and mean, we you know this show most most of the time we have mergers acquisition guys we have people that are post-merger integration and we also focus a lot on the marketing side of things as, as uh you know as fractional cmos and marketing leadership and so on but i think your story and and your your background and what you've done is really, I think a a shining example of what entre- entrepreneurship is all about. It's about just putting yourself out there. You find something that you're a bit passionate about. You just go for it. I mean, you studied something, you did something different, you built a business. But every time, you're not just. It's not just the the scaling of wealth and that that you haven't spoken about at all about making loads of money and, and sort of like, you know, sailing off into the sunset on a, on a, I don't know, whatever yacht and so on, but you talk about adding value. You talk about all the, you get excited about the stuff that you're busy with. And I think that that's the mark of an entrepreneur because I think you never actually stop. You know, that's, yeah. that's to a certain extent why I called my company the skillful pursuit because it's, it's the constant search or pursuit of skill and of challenging yourself and and just becoming better and better and better and and th- that's absolutely. really for me a, a yeah, shining absolutely. example of that skillful pursuit of, of absolutely of yeah
1: are. yeah. So I, th- I thought I mean, I'd just tr- share that. I thought I, thought, I just thought trying to was get brilliant. someone behind me to not come in, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, thanks. Uh, yeah. I mean, like it's, it's, like I'm taking it one, one, one day at a time. Um, it's, uh, and you do. as it's, you do, you've got yeah, to do as, that as one does. Yeah. As one does. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so,
0: so, but, okay. So tell us about, so, so you're an entrepreneur. We, the last few minutes, um, of the, uh, of the podcast and, just tell us just uh, just briefly sort of how do you keep a bit of balance? I mean, you can't just be working all the time. You Hopefully you've got a bit of balance. If there is such a thing, if there's not such a thing, that's also okay because I, in my career, very seldom I've ever had a thing called balance. But that's, that's, you know, that's another story. But tell us, do you have that? And then maybe just sort of finish off with if people want to get hold of you, how do they do that? And if they want to engage with sort of more of what you do and so on.
1: Um, just share a bit of that with us okay cool yeah so um uh yeah i mean balance wise um that's an interesting one i mean i I guess i don't sort of see see um that that concept um just just in the sense that like i i'm a i'm a i really enjoy or i I practice uh you know mindfulness meditation quite quite a lot um i'd say it's a it's a daily thing I, i try to do you know 20 to 40 minutes a day um uh you know it's it, not so much as a, as a sort of relaxing thing but a sort of investigation of my own ego and what it's up to um and my sort of the, the you know I, I see myself as an incredibly privileged person not for any kind of category um i just mean i have literally just been privileged by my parents you know having been what they have being able to send me to these universities without a university loan and i just think that it is the uh ethical duty of someone like me who has been given that to do something for other people, and so my, I guess my purpose is to make as much um, impact as I can. So as much, and that that includes financially, so that I can I can I can direct that money to effective altruism, so to to altruistic companies or causes that are doing something in the world that are advancing uh, the human species i know this sounds like kind of cuckoo maybe but but that's genuinely how i see the world and so for me Mm. everything i'm doing i see as um built off the back of you know people who are much greater than i was who have built a society and built everything and it's and it's my turn to kind of carry the torch and i've been given every single privilege and i and, and there's no need for me to be complaining about having such interesting times running companies and jetting around the world like there's I don't want to minimize that people can have mental health issues. I've struggled with mental health issues, but it's not that I think that, um, you know, I, I'm struggling in any way or I need to keep a balance. It's like, I'm here to perform the, 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 the duty, the way I see it and, um, and, uh, keep, and it just sort of motivates me. Like I don't, I don't drink. I don't, um, really go out. I, I sort of more hang out with people. Um, and, uh, and I exercise, I try to exercise a lot. Um, so th- and that I find that has really good effects on hormones, um, and, um, and have a love- wonderful, uh, girlfriend. And so we spend a lot of time together. So I think, um, I don't know, I, I sort of, I guess that could be balanced, but, um, uh, I'm definitely not going like, to, I definitely know when I've worked too much and if you work mm-hmm. too much, then you're not going to be effective the next day and you're going to affect, you know, your, your, your purpose. So, uh, I'm definitely aware of when I've I've had my limits and when it's being counterproductive to my own interests. So I know sometimes I need to just have an earlier day, you know, spend longer in the gym, and or you know, go for a watch a watch a movie, you know.
0: Yeah, I like this. So so tell us just how how do people get hold of you, Larry, and and uh, so how do you, you know, how, you know what what are you prepared to talk about if people do get in touch um but tell us
1: how, how do people get hold of you yeah so um larry.coch at mana biosystems is my email and then larry at the brains.co.uk is the uh on the marketing side i'm super happy to talk about anything anyone who's doing um or about to do anything um that they think is gonna be great for society as a company or just wants to knock ideas around. I wanna know them, I wanna talk to them, I want them as a friend. Um, And if they are looking for specific help with marketing, definitely can can sort of set them up with people at the brains. And if anyone's into the insect farming uh, side of things, don't know if that might be the case with your listeners, then um, yeah, happy to chat.
0: That too. I, I found it absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Larry. Much appreciated. Stay on the line. I just want to say goodbye to the audience, and then I'll, I'll be back. Sure. Thanks for
1: having me, Dudley.
0: Thanks, Larry. Thanks very much. Thanks, Larry, for for joining us today, and thank you, um, everyone, for joining us on, on on another podcast, where we did something completely different today. We've we've actually experienced, I think, um, the entrepreneurial journey. That special. Um, those special people in the world that i think that that make the difference that that take on tasks that other people are not willing to but also having a core set of values and and uh, and, and i i think from my side i think the the importance of being authentic and real and being true to yourself and to those people around you i think are, are critical for success in the long term because it can bring you short-term gain but long-term pain if you do exactly the unethical stuff that we see out there. But from marketing and, and business development and so on, nothing happens without a sale. If you do it ethically, you do it properly and you do it with the right kind of principles, you do it in a in a, in a fashion that's repeatable and so on. I I think there's there's a lot of scope for growth and 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 for us to be incredibly positive about the future and about where we are right now. And I think we're better off than than a lot of our previous generations regardless of what we think we're going through right now Um, all the best everybody Uh, have a super rest of the weekend uh, and and we'll catch you on the next uh, next next podcast bye bye hi everybody this is dudley again and if you need help with a future or existing post-merger integration i want to invite you to arrange a free no obligation meeting with us during the meeting we'll find out exactly what you need what your challenges are And we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk. That's mergerintegration.co.uk. Or come to our website, skillfulpursuit.com.